Amen. Well, hey, good morning. It is great to get to be back with you. Uh, it's been a while. I feel like it's been about a month since I've gotten to worship with our own church. Uh, beginning of July, I had the privilege of going and preaching at Grace Snellville, I would say our sister campus, but actually uh, it's the church that planted Grace Monroe uh, about 12 years ago, and so it was just a, a sweet time to get to be back with them. And then obviously uh, went almost immediately from there to take a team of people over to the Holy Land, over to Israel and Palestine on our epic experience, and uh, we are back safe and sound, and it was absolutely, absolutely an incredible, incredible time. So I want to share a little bit about that today, but really uh, next week I want to share more stories and hear from people how God uh, touched their lives through that, that epic experience. But with that, you might notice me kind of hanging out in the back. My wife uh, told me I had to wear a mask today, global travel and all that. I'm trying to be extra cautious and safe. Um, just, uh, it, it's, uh, it's been a little bit crazy getting back, and, um, but I'm glad to be here and excited to dive into God's Word uh, as we continue our study through the Minor Prophets um, and looking at specifically the book of Jonah. So if you want, uh, if, you, if you need a Bible, um, go on and uh, just slip up a hand, we'll get a Bible to you. If you have a Bible, go on and open up to Jonah, the book of Jonah. Now, while you're finding your way there uh, to, uh, to the book of Jonah, we'll be diving in. I know we got a bunch of kids in the room. Uh, so, yeah, give a shout out to all to our kids. We're excited that y'all are here worshiping with us. So fun that they get to watch us, watch their uh, parents and friends and neighbors worship God and open his word. Some of the best modeling we can do. Um, but then they also had a big old time at Summerfest this past, uh, these past two days. And so we're glad that they're with us. Also, we uh, have the, the privilege, one of our beloved families, the Bondies. Where are the Bondies? Are they, I saw Caleb. Oh, there they are. Y'all come on up here. Um, and Benji, did you have that? Or did Benji's mic, if we give it to them. So the Bondies have uh, been a part of our church family for a number of years now. God called them over to China for a while, and then obviously with COVID, uh, they ended up back here stateside for a while, and then uh, since then, I got it, called them back over to Thailand, and they've been serving there, continuing to engage with, with families and with kids, um, and they are heading back this week. It surprised me that it's this week, um, but I'm glad y'all are here. We want to pray over them. I'd love for y'all just to share um, how we can be praying, kind of what y'all are uh, heading into, and, uh, and then uh, after you share, we'll gather around you, lay hands on y'all, and send you out. So, Thank yeah. you, Brian. I am privileged oh. to be sent out. Turn that down. Ah, there we go.
processing uh, Eden being five hours away. It's China or Thailand to uh, stateside a little bit farther. Can't quite take them out to lunch very fast. I will definitely be praying. Excited for you, Caleb. I'm just amazed at how tall y'all all have gotten. When we first were praying over y'all, we were like praying over the Bondi children. It's amazing. Yeah, I'm excited, but excited for what God has for you. And I know every time, the really cool thing for me to watch is that every time that y'all have been faithful and stepped forward, um, you've been obviously obedient in the calling in front of you. But it feels like every time God continues to just expand opportunities and open doors, that your hearts are open to that, to say yes. And so uh, one of the things, and what we'll get to now, but even what we're praying about in Palestine and with kids with special needs and loving families it is wanting to lean on y'all's experience and expertise to, to, to um, start heading down or pioneering new roads. And so thank y'all for your faithfulness, for your courage, um, and the example that y'all are to say yes to God. So we do want to pray over y'all, and so I'm going to invite y'all to head on down, and I'm going to ask the way we do this as a church, just ask everyone to stand up, and if uh, some, I know there's if friends and family, some of our elders want to come down and just surround the bondies and lay hands on them as a family, and then I've asked if uh, Danny would, uh, would close us in prayer. So just if you're in the congregation, just extend a hand in prayer, and just let's just pray out loud together for the, for the Bondi family, uh, for what God has for them as they head out this week into this adventure. Let's pray. Thank you. Be seated. And so um, I'm sure the Bondies will be more than willing to hang out afterwards. And uh, if you're interested in supporting what they do, we support them as a church family. If you may or may not know this, but when you give to Grace, a portion of every dollar you give automatically goes to missions. Uh, some of that's local, some of that's global, some of that's church planning. Uh, and so whether you know it or not, you are supporting what the Bondies are doing. But I know that there's other specific needs. There's continued uh, uh, financial needs that they have as they prepare to go, or, and I know and don't say this lightly, as important, if not more important to them, and I know this personally from them, is uh, that a, a, a team of people committed to praying for them. And so um, if, if you feel called or led to be a part of what God is doing uh, in the Far East, uh, then connect with them. They'd love to get you connected to their newsletter, their communication, and whether that's to give, to, to pray, to be an encouragement, 
Um, we want to, to love on them, whether they're here or afar. And so it's with that that we, we launch into Jonah. Uh, and so what I love about Grace is this is a missional church. This is a church, you are a church that says yes to mission. And whether that means uh, going across the street into the, into the neighborhoods, uh, whether that means heading over to serve and pray for the schools and for teachers, uh, whether that means showing up in your workplaces or even starting businesses and restaurants to engage this community with the gospel, uh, or going across the world to China, to Thailand, to Palestine, I, that this is a church that says yes to mission. And Jonah, actually, interestingly enough, is, is one of the most missional books, but kind of in a backwards sort of way. And, uh, and so, kids, you can answer this question for me, the kids in the room. When I say Jonah, what is the one word that comes to mind? Whale, that's right. It's a big fish story. Now, it's actually interesting. We're going to actually spend two weeks in Jonah. This week, we're just going to get through the first chapter. G.K. Chesterton said about the book of Jonah, is that it's a mistake to think that it's a book about a great fish. It's a book about a great God. And what you'll actually find is that in the book of Jonah, the fish is just a tiny part of the story. Now, it's a big fish, but its role is actually just a small part to play. There's a lot more going on, and so we're going we're gonna to dive in. And before we even get to Jonah, I mean, uh, to the, 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 the book of the prophet Jonah, uh, Jonah shows up earlier in the Bible. In 2 Kings 14, verse 24, and it's right there on the screen. And Jeroboam II, the king, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was his father, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. So we get this interesting uh, description or, uh, or kind of a note about Jonah early on. And what we find out about Jonah is that he's in this interesting crossroads, of a nation that is in moral decline, but economic prosperity. That it's moving farther and farther away from God, and yet at the same time, as a nation, it's expanding its borders. Economic prosperity, but moral depravity. And we find Jonah standing shoulder to shoulder with the king who is leading the people into sin. Uh, it raises a bunch of questions about Jonah, about his heart as a prophet. But he's obviously being used by God, speaking the words of God. And as we get into the book of Jonah, we find out that he's quite an interesting character. But here he is as a counterpart to an evil king. At the same time that other prophets in Israel were speaking against the king that were declaring the coming condemnation and judgment of God because of the wickedness, because of the injustice, because of the lack of mercy and compassion, for the ways that the people of God weren't living into the calling of God, but instead were oppressing and abusing and misusing the people around them. 
And so prophets like Amos, who we looked at last week, were rising up to call the people back to God's heart for justice and mercy. And yet here's Jonah standing with the king and and actually prophesying the, the expansion of the king's borders. Now we also see at other times throughout scripture that God does plant his people in places of power. Even in the midst of the most wicked kings, God will sort of sow seeds for his word and his power to be revealed at a later time. And so we don't know, is Jonah one of those seeds planted in an evil empire to begin to, to, to sow God's word? Or was he in cahoots with an evil king? What we do know is that regardless of where Jonah was personally in his character, is that he was in a pretty comfortable position. I mean, here the nation is expanding. The empire is, is broadening. It's, it, the, the wealth is growing. And he has a right-hand seat in the place of power with the king. And so it's with that in mind that God's word to Jonah is that much more shocking. And we get in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Arise, go to Nineveh. A word of God, from God, meant to be through Jonah for the people. But a word that would have, shaken, would have shaken him out of his comfortable place. You see, most prophets, even as we looked at the minor prophets, most prophets didn't even leave their land to go into to other parts of the nation of Israel and Judah. The prophets to the kings of Israel were from Israel. The, the prophets to the, the kings of Judah were from Judah. Very rarely did they ever travel across those borders, even within their own people group. In other words, when God was raising up a word for the people, it came from the people for the people. God was speaking personally and directly through the people that were saturated in the ways of that land, that knew the culture, and he used those people to speak to God's people. And yet here, God doesn't just call Jonah to go a few miles away to the neighboring state where they still spoke the same language, but maybe just with a southern drawl. He calls him to go to a completely different part of the world, to Nineveh, a foreign city with a different language, a different culture, a different religion, a great city. And I don't mean great as in like awesome. I mean, that's the way the word describes it. But great as in mighty, powerful. At the center politically and geographically of the empire of Assyria. And this Assyrian empire that was rising up and taking more and more territory. Nineveh was the military center point of that nation. The most powerful terrifying, conquering army of the day. 
don't know if at school or maybe like on the History Channel, have you ever seen those videos of uh, the German Blitzkrieg in World War II? Where like in a day, you just see this like mass of tanks and armor crossing the border from Germany into Poland and just like that, wiping out, just taking over massive uh, swaths of territory. Assyria was the German blitzkrieg of their day. When they showed up on the horizon with their chariots and their warriors, there was nothing that could stop them. I mean, they came in like a horde of locusts. And so when you heard the name Nineveh, it would have stoked in you absolute terror. Because when the Assyrians showed up, when the powerhouse of Nineveh showed up, you were done for. And yet, this is the place God is calling Jonah to speak his word. And not only are they powerful, not only are they mighty and strong, but they're also evil. Their evil is so bad that God has taken note of it and uses this language, that their wickedness has come up before me. It's the same language God uses about Sodom and Gomorrah. That their evil, their wickedness, it stands apart from the rest of the wickedness of earth. And yet, God wants to send his prophet with his word to the very belly of the beast, to this place of evil, to call even the most pagan people to himself. And what we see in this first verse, we said that the book of Jonah isn't about a great fish, it's about a great God. And we see even from the very beginning that no matter how powerful, how mighty, how strong, how evil the empires of the world are, God reigns over all of it. I mean, notice the language. Their evil has come up before me as if God is positioned over the nations of the world, over the superpowers of the day, over the evil culture that seems to threaten and overpower everything. God sits above all of that. And speaks his judgment that every nation, every person will be held accountable. Now for the position of Jonah, the Assyrians were up here. The ones that, whose boot was about to tread on those people. And yet God says, no, 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 no. As hopeless, as dark, as impossible as it seems, I'm the one that sits in power over all of this. And so, Jonah, I'm calling you to get up and to go. That's the first surprise in this book of surprises. And the second surprise is this. Jonah, the prophet of God, called by God, who has carried the word of God, says no. But Jonah, so God says, rise up, go to Nineveh. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. It's almost like the author really wants you to get that Jonah was going to Tarshish. Why? Because you couldn't get any farther away in the known world. Here, throw that map up there. Jonah goes to the nearest seaport that he can find, which is Joppa. Some of the people on our epic trip that flew in uh, a little bit early got to go eat lunch in Joppa. It's a beautiful little seaside town there. 
But it was the closest port that Jonah could find. And where was he going? As far away as he could. God was calling him to go east to Nineveh. So where does he go? West. Five times farther away than to the city where he was supposed to be going. In effect, Jonah turns his back on God. And Jonah walks away from his prophetic calling. And he says, nope, I'm good, God. You can use somebody else. But haven't we all been there before? You know, it's interesting, Jonah, we can kind of laugh at. I mean, he is just an interesting individual, a messed up man. But he's not meant to be a mockery. Jonah's definitely not meant to be a model, somebody that we're supposed to emulate. And we'll see that even more as we go through. Jonah is meant to be a mirror, somebody that we look at and see ourselves. And what are the ways that God has shown up in our life, that God has asked us to step into something uncomfortable or scary, to go somewhere that that we don't know how it's going to work out, and we just say, nah, God, I'm good. I'm going to to busy myself over here, and I'm going to do these things over here, but there's no, 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 I'm not going to go talk to that person. I'm not going to go deal with that issue. Something that comes up that you know that you need to confront or deal with. Maybe a wrong that's happening in front of you that you need to be honest about. Maybe something that you, a place that you need to, to go offer forgiveness or seek reconciliation. And it's like, no, 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 God. I'll go talk to that neighbor, but not that neighbor. No, God, I'll, I'll, you know what? This is what I'll do. You know, you're telling me I probably need to go deal with this with this person. What I'll do is I'll actually go talk to my friend and pray for that person that I need to deal with. And I'll let them know how big of a deal this thing is over there. But we'll just keep staying over here and let that thing stay unresolved over there. God, I'm good. I'm going to walk this way even though you're asking me to go this way. Anyone else ever found themselves in that place with Jonah? No, that's too uncomfortable, God. I kind of like how things are right now. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to stir things up. I don't want to mess up what's good. God, that's too scary. I don't know how this could end up. I mean, that, that, they might rip my head off, God, or they, they might take my job, or, or there they might be consequences for my children. God, this isn't worth it. And twice... This language of away from the presence of the Lord. That he was just trying to get away from what God was speaking and what God was doing. But we'll find that that's an impossible task. Because wherever we go, there he still is. And in verse 1, or sorry, in verse 4, but the Lord... God shows up in the middle of Jonah's disobedience, in the middle of his fear, and him walking away from his identity and his calling, God shows up. And the good news is this in the book of Jonah. Even though Jonah gets everything wrong, God still gets everything right. And that he will accomplish his purposes even through messed up 
disobedient, reluctant people like me, like you. And what we'll see in this first chapter is three hurls, three places of hurling. And the first thing that gets hurled is a great wind from God. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest or storm on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. That God steps into Jonah's resistance with a greater form of resistance. He makes it so difficult to flee that Jonah's going to have to come face to face with his fear. And the picture, bigger picture is this, that God is wanting to reveal who he is. Yes, to the people of Nineveh, but first to Jonah. God wants to show his mercy, that even in the most wicked people in the land, those that seem the farthest away, God wants to show up for them. And that he is powerful. I mean, one of the biggest effects of reading this book and, and, and soaking in this book is that it's meant to lead us into a bigger, grander view of God. That God not only has the power to hurl storms, but also to appoint fish. And later we'll see a plant and a worm and the sun, that he controls all things to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And this first hurling... The question is, what is our way of escape? For Jonah, trying to escape from God, he jumps on board this ship. Now, it's interesting to note that in that part of, sorry, in that time, shipbuilding would have been the most cutting-edge technology of their day. Remember, Jonah came from an agricultural uh, uh, context. And so the idea of a ship, not just a ship that's big enough to go fishing on on the lake, but a ship built big enough to cross an ocean would have been mind-blowing to him. It would have been the hottest technology out there. And the question becomes, what are the ways that we use technology to escape God? Have you? Is that still a temptation for us in 2022, as it was for Jonah? To use whatever I can to get away from whatever it is that God is speaking. But God's not just revealing his mercy and his power, but also his presence. Jonah's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord, but we know that God is everywhere. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the very depths of the earth, even there, you will find me. And Jonah comes face to face with a God that can't be run from. And so this storm rises up, this way of escape that God stops with this first hurling of the sea. Then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God, and they hurled, the second hurling, the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, 
What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, and perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. If the first question that comes with the the first hurling is, what is our ways of escape? The second question with the second hurling is, what are our survival strategies? What we see is the sailors just simply trying to make it, doing whatever they could to to weather this storm, that they don't know where it comes from or why it's happening. They just know that they're about to die. And so they are hurling everything they can overboard, doing everything they can to make it. And I wonder if sometimes it's not the, the, the way we escape, try to escape God, but it's the ways that we are just simply trying to survive trying to make life work on our own terms, trying to make life work by our own power, trying to survive this storm by any means necessary, and we are willing to throw anything overboard if maybe it'll just keep us afloat for another hour. What are your ways of escape? What are the ways that you are just trying to survive? And it seems like Jonah's survival strategy is to just try to sleep through it. Anyone had that one? Lord, if I could just bury my head under this pillow until all of this chaos and craziness goes away and then wake up, that'd be amazing. If I could just fall asleep and wake up and it'd be 2019 again and we're just back to normal, If I could just close my eyes and pretend that it was all different. If I could just sleep and everything would get back to, would would be better. That word for sleep there is only used a few times throughout scripture, but it's this supernatural depth of sleep, this deep, dark sleep. The same sleep that when God took a rib out of Adam, the same sleep when Abraham fell, uh, went to sleep during the, the, the giving of the covenant. That in this supernatural place, this place of escape, this place of survival, God shows up for Jonah. Not in spite of the storm, but through the storm. Now, the sailors don't know the bigger story that's happening. They just know that they're about to die. As they do everything they know to survive, they just begin crying out to all their gods. we got this sort of eclectic group of sailors. Now, their understanding in a a pagan or polytheistic culture is about localized deities, localized gods. In other words, the gods belong to the the land where that god was worshipped. So the God of Monroe, if there was such a thing, would be in this city of Monroe. But if I wanted to escape the God of Monroe, I just needed to go to Loganville and try to make that God happier. And so we actually find out that Jonah's not hiding the fact that he's fleeing his God. And to the sailors, that actually makes a lot of sense. If your God is of this land, then get on our boat. We'll take you to the other end of the world, and you'll be away from your God. And so they're now just begging all that. I mean, they're just giving it all up, right? They're just like, any God that can hear us, save us. So much so that the captain runs down, grabs Jonah, pray to your God. What are you doing, you sleeper? Actually, it's interesting that the words to the captain are the very words, ironically, that God called Jonah in the first place. Arise, you sleeper. 
Get up and pray to your God. We need all the firepower we can get. What they don't know is that the God of Jonah isn't just any localized God, but the creator of the universe, the God of land and sea, the God who made all things, is everywhere, knows all things, can do anything. Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, who God is going to pour out his power and his blessing for the sake of the nations, and this God can't be escaped. So they said to one another, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and sure enough, the lot fell on Jonah. When I read that, I imagine, like, uh, have you ever, any parents, like, uh, walked into the kitchen and something's, like, spilled all over the place? And so you gather your kids, and you're like, who did this? And they all kind of shuffle in, like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. And they kind of just stand there, like, Who's going to admit it first? Like, I don't know. I, like, I know one of you did this. Well, who did it? You can imagine Jonah on the deck, all the sailors being like, all right, who did it? And Jonah just kind of standing in the back. And sure enough, the lot shows, yeah, this is the guy. So they bring Jonah forward. And they start interrogating him, asking all these questions. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you from? And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah, when he first begins to answer, he kind of avoids most of their questions. And when he says that I'm a Hebrew, he's using a really vague term. He doesn't say he's an Israelite. He doesn't say he's a prophet. He doesn't say he works for the king. He, he, actually, that term Hebrew is more like a sojourner, a, a, one who goes on pilgrimage or on, on a journey somewhere. I'm a Hebrew. But then he does specifically name his God. And this is the first confession that we get of Jonah. I serve the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, the God of the land and the sea. And in that moment, the sailors realize that this is a God unlike the gods that we've been crying out to. And they, in turn, cry out to that God. And interestingly enough, as disobedient as Jonah the prophet is, it seems like wherever he goes, revival breaks out. And what he was supposed to be, do in Nineveh ends up happening on this random ship. And I wonder also when we look at our own lives, and I don't think we can see this in the moment, but I do think we can see this when we look back on our lives. Even in those seasons, when we were actively running away from God, when we were escaping or hiding or numbing or avoiding what he's speaking to us, how he's leading us, where we're trying not to go where he's leading us to go or do the things he's leading us to do, and we still look back and somehow his fingerprints are still all over the story of our lives. Somehow he was still at work. Somehow he still was accomplishing what he wanted to accomplish. And so many times we miss that, that God's faithfulness even in our unfaithfulness. God's power, even in our disobedience. 
And here, God brings a ship full of pagan sailors to the knowledge of himself through the fear and disobedience of this reluctant prophet. So they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea just kept growing more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl, the third hurl, me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. The first hurling is about a way of escape. The second hurling is about our survival strategies. Finally, in this third hurl, it's a way of surrender. Jonah says, throw me into the sea, and let's see what happens. That he's willing to give himself up, to sacrifice himself for the sake of these sailors. Now, another surprise is that even knowing this, the sailors are reluctant at this point, they've just found out about a God who sees everything, is everywhere. And so the last thing they want to do is kill the guy that belongs to that God. So they actually protest. And it says that they row even harder, trying to keep them from having to throw Jonah overboard. But they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. More, the storm grew in strength against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. And hear the confession of these formerly pagan sailors. O Lord, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So the big picture. Jonah is a bum. I mean, he remains a bum through this entire story. And the predominant direction of his life is down, 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 and away. In those first few verses, he went down to Joppa. Now he's going down into the, the depths of the sea. He'll go down into the belly of a whale. Down, down, away from the presence of God. Now, ironically, the name Jonah means dove. And his father name, father's name means faithfulness. So when Jonah gets introduced, he gets introduced as a dove of faithfulness, one that's meant to move up and with God to achieve God's purposes. And everything in Jonah's life is fleeing from his identity, fleeing from his calling. I'm supposed to be moving with God, forward with God, upward with God, faithful to God, and instead I am fleeing down, down, down in a way. And yet God confronts him in that disobedience. God confronts him in his fear. And God still accomplishes the very things that God had made Jonah to accomplish in the first place. 
And Jonah, in many ways, is a picture of Israel, who as a people ran away from God. They didn't want to be his messenger, his light to the nations, his blessing to the world, who were exiled to the belly of the beast, which was Babylon. And Jonah, in many ways, is a picture of us, who also run away from God, who try to survive on our own terms, who hide, who find ourselves in exile. And yet, it's this disobedient, reluctant prophet that Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew says that the only sign that he would give to the skeptics was the sign of Jonah. That somehow Jesus modeled what he was doing through the life of this worthless bum. That just like Jonah would go overboard, surrendering his life to save a bunch of pagans, Jesus would be hurled to his death on the cross to save the world. Now, whereas Jonah was corrupt and, and we could say even deserved it, Jesus was holy and certainly did not. And yet, just as the wisdom of God worked through the storm to bring about salvation in Jonah, so too the wisdom of God worked through the death and the resurrection of Jesus to bring us salvation. So the response we're led to in the book of Jonah Are we going to go after a survival strategy or are we going to go after a surrender strategy? Are we going to keep running and trying to make life work on our own terms to keep avoiding and numbing and resisting? Or are we willing to surrender even when it means calling us into uncomfortable, scary, fearful, unknown places? And that may be across the street. That may be across the world. That may be a phone call to an uncle that you've been avoiding. That may be uh, an invitation to a neighbor that God has been prompting you. That may be starting something new or joining something that's already happening. It may be that dream that wakes you up in the middle of the night that you say, there's no way that's impossible. It may be taking that next step of faith. It may be releasing your children into something and letting go and not trying to control their future and their lives. It may be trusting God with your spouse. It may be trusting God with your boss. It may be confronting something that is evil. It may be standing up for injustice. It may be finding yourself in a place with a bunch of people that don't look like you. It may be going into the neighborhoods. It may be investing in a seventh grader. What are the ways that God is calling us to surrender, to fall into the depths of the sea where our only hope is that somehow he will scoop us up because nothing else is working, is it? I said, uh, and I'll end with this story. I said that, you know, this epic experience, I mean, it really was such an amazing trip, and there were so many things that we got to saw and experience and um, so many just, just amazing moments with God. I mean, we got to, to walk the footsteps of Jesus as he went from the gar Garden of Gethsemane to the cross and uh, went and stood on the Temple Mount and down from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea and Jericho and baptized in the Jordan River. I mean, amazing experiences. But I say the most, uh, one of the most powerful things that I got to witness uh, was that my mom got a tattoo. Yeah, it's true. That is true. I'm just kidding. That wasn't the most powerful thing I, I experienced. 
Um, but you should ask her about that because it's pretty great. Uh, we spent the first part of the, the, the first week and a half that we were there meeting people and going to these amazing places. But we, the last three days that we were there, we actually had the privilege of, of putting on a Young Life camp uh, in Palestine in the West Bank uh, for, uh, for families from two villages. Uh, one village was predominantly Palestinian Christian and one village was predominantly Palestinian Muslim. But they were all families with kids with special needs. And Young Life has a ministry called Capernaum, which uh, ministers and creates space to love and uh, just to, to be present and available and to serve families whose, whose kids, uh, whether blind or cognitive difficulty or uh, physically impaired, whatever that might be. And so we were putting on this three-day camp. And one of the first things we did is the buses pull up from these villages, and, um, and our, our team is all there ready to greet them. And and, uh, and as these families, and it was the children, and I say children loosely, I mean, it, it, they ranged in all kinds of different ages, uh, from very little to, you know, in their 20s. But they all had a caretaker, a mom or a dad that was with them. And they all started getting off, this, off the buses, and the first thing we were doing is a, a horse ride with them. And, uh, and as, as we're standing there, and our team is just cheering and high-fiving and greeting them with smiles and love and and, and John Stallsmith, who's the, the lead pastor at Snellville, was just crying standing next to me. And it was a sweet moment just watching the way that our, our, our uh, team was just loving these families and seeing these precious kids and getting off the bus and, and all the, the, the fear and the worries that they have in life and the difficulties they face every day, uh, just being in a place that they can be loved and be safe. And, uh, but I was asking John later, I said, well, what was it that was going on in you? And he said... Uh, he said, we've been praying for this moment for 20 years. For, ever since, we felt like God was calling us as a church to engage the Muslim world with the love and grace of Jesus. As we phrase it, to catalyze Jesus movements in the Muslim world. Uh, he said, we've been praying for a tangible way that our people in the states could engage with Muslim families in a way of love and grace, that we could introduce them to Jesus. And uh, in 20 years that we are seeing this, these moms coming off the bus and, and full cover and, the, the, you know, the hijab and, uh, and all, like, the, the uh, Muslim identity. And, and here are our people with arms wide open receiving them. Now, to be really honest and, and vulnerable for me, that whole week leading up to the camp, I was waking up in the middle of the night in just deep discouragement. And, uh, and the phrase, and these stress dreams, and I would wake up, and the phrase in my head as I woke up was, why am I here? I don't even want to be here, which is not true. <laughs> like, I knew it wasn't true. Like, if you know me at all, I love leading people into adventure. Epic is one of my favorite things on the planet. I talk about it all the time. I want all of you to come with me. But that was this feeling as I woke up, like, why am I here? I don't even want to be here. And there's just this deep, like, like a dark cloud over me. And I would just call out to Jesus and pray and eventually fall back asleep. And what was amazing is when I would wake up in the morning, I would feel lighter. And, like, I mean, I would feel like God had lifted something off my spirit. But then that night, it kept happening. And then uh, I had the, the privilege, the opportunity to, um, to be the camp speaker. And so to open my Bible in front of a room full of families that don't speak English, half of whom come from a uh, cultural Christian context, half of whom come from a cultural Muslim context in the most divided part of the world on the planet. Like, we think we have division. Oh. <laughs> yeah, 
with a room full of kids with special needs, some of whom don't know what's happening or what's going on. There's this one sweet little girl that kept getting up and uh, just you know, not aware, and she would just come wander up to the front of the room and kiss the translator on the cheek and then go sit back down, trying to like teach. And so I'd get up to speak, and I was terrified. I mean, there's not another word. Like, I have never been more intimidated and scared to share the, open the Bible and teach than I ever in my life. And, uh, and just felt the weight of like trying to share God's word in this context. When Jesus says things like, I've come to uh, set captives free, give sight to the blind, and looking across this room. And I didn't want to do it. In my Jonah moment, like I would have rather have gotten on a boat and gone to the other side of the ocean than have been obedient in that, in that moment. And, and actually, the, the escape route for me is, you know, I said I was there with John Stallsmith. And John and Stalls is one of the most brilliant teachers on the planet who has been speaking in Muslim context for 20 years. And everything in me wanted to go, you know what, just being humble, all glory to God, so that he can have the most praise, amen, Stalls. I would just stand there, just, I mean, just scared and uh, intimidated. And God just met me in that place. And it was amazing to watch what was happening in the room. And, and what was amazing is that first, so we're teaching on uh, Naaman, the Syrian with leprosy, and how God shows up in unexpected ways, and will we trust him? And I got to the end of the story, or to the middle of the story, in classic young life fashion, you leave people hanging. You got to tell half the story, and then you're like, and tomorrow... We'll find out what happens to Naaman. And so I was like, and tomorrow we'll find out. And this group of, uh, of fully covered Muslim ladies just about came out of their chairs at me. No, 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 no. And I, I was like, I didn't know what was happening. I was like, and I looked at my translator. I was like, did I say something wrong? Did I just offend somebody? And she just laughed. And she goes, no, they want you to finish the story. And I said, never in my church has anyone gotten mad at me <laughs> for stopping a sermon. But just watching as them engage with God's word. And, and for me, it was showing up in that moment and just in all of my fear and wanting to run away and knowing, God, this has to be you. This has to be you because I have nothing to offer. And I wonder for all of us, and even, and I'm taking this with me into my Monday, into my next week, all the ways that it may not be so obvious that I just want to run away, that I want to hide, that I want to avoid the hard conversations, that I don't want to do the hard thing, that I don't want to show up honestly with my full self. Like Jonah, I just would rather get on a boat and go somewhere else and fall asleep. And so what is the ways that God may be revealing some of the survival strategies you've employed? What are the ways you've been trying to run and escape what he's been leading you into? And where is the Lord inviting you to surrender? that maybe the storm you're facing isn't in spite of God, it's from God. To pause long enough for him to show up in your life and to not try to run away from the pain, but maybe the way through is to dive into that pain and let God catch you there. So I want to pray for us. We'll continue to worship together. I invite you into to communion, just this reminder 
of the presence of Christ with us always. The forgiveness of God for us for all eternity. So, Lord, I do pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for the ways that you were faithful and showed up even in, in my fear and insecurity. God, thank you that you invite us into places of discomfort and pain and that you'll meet us there. Every time you meet us there and that we really can't escape as hard as we try. And so, Lord, I pray even right now, will you just call to mind for each one of us here the things we've been avoiding, the ways that you're drawing us or, or inviting us into deeper places with you, even scary places or new places, into the belly of the beast. Lord, I pray, will you show us, as we look back on our lives, the ways that you were faithful, that you still accomplished and led and moved, even when we were disobedient and running. And God, I pray, will you form our hearts and our character, that we would be the kind of community that boldly moves forward with you, not without fear, but even in our fear that we would do the things that you call us to do. We'd be the kind of people that you're calling us to be. And Lord, we thank you for the work that you are doing over in Palestine. We're seeing a movement of people whose hearts are turning to you, Jesus, as Lord and King. The only one that can deliver. The only one that can forgive. The only one that can save. And so we pray you would continue by your spirit that work around our world. In the name of Jesus, amen.